Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the We Love You Arsenal. That's not it. The, uh, the extra cannon, the Arsenal Cannon podcast. Fuck that. Episode thirty-four, Arsenal Cannon podcast extravaganza one thirty-four. Jesus Christ, I fuck this. Um, I haven't been a host for a very long time now. So yeah, as you can see, uh, if you are watching or if you are listening, um, it's only the Brits today. Uh, the Americans, thankfully have uh, not been there. As I've said every time, it's been an only British show. Um, it's great because it's an English sport, isn't it? Don't let those yanks on the show uh, anymore. Rob, uh, what are you saying? I've, I've just got one thing to say, really, or sing. It's we are top of the league. Say we are top of the league. We are top of the league. Uh, (laughs) um, Yeah, I'm, uh, as you might suspect, um, in a very good mood after the weekend. Um, It was good to see that the American national team did win a Premier League match over the weekend. That that was good for them and nice to see that they beat Chelsea as well. I'm I'm sure we might delve into what's going on down the road in in West London, as as you guys did on the extra show. Charlotte (laughs) <laughs> yes, as you did with United. Um, but yeah, I'm in good spirits. Um, and some exciting news to really talk talk about today. Not only uh, the big win at the weekend, but also a very exciting transfer rumour has popped up, which um, we'll sink our teeth into later in the show. We will. We are recording on Monday. So that means if you are an Arsenal fan, you probably know about the news we, alluding, we are alluding to. I apologise for my very disjointed intro. Uh, as I said, I'm not used to it anymore. Um, but of course, we had our own game. Um, we'll get onto Chelsea as well. We may even touch on City. We had our own game, uh, which went very smoothly. Um, the one thing I'm singing is the Saliba chant. It's too long to to Saliba. Saliba. Um, tequila um yeah three nil win over bournemouth i think the first thing we can caveat it with um before everyone accuses us of getting too overexcited is that we know bournemouth are not good they're probably the worst team in the league they will probably go down i think on paper they're the worst team in the league they've produced the lowest uh accumulated accumulative xg so far um they have played austin city who I think there's 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 a lot of parallels between our performance with how City played against them. For, right off the back, you just look at the scoreline, 3-0, 4-0, and then you look at the XG, it was very similar. Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind with this performance is control. I think this is exactly how... And it links to a piece you wrote the other day about our control issues and how it's not completely gone away and we still struggle to control in certain moments of games. But I think this game completely an utter control. And I saw some murmurs on Twitter after saying we didn't control the second half very well. I disagree. I think just because you don't have the ball at times when you're 3-0 up and you know you're playing against a team that will struggle to get into your final third and create anything, I think surrendering a bit of the ball makes a bit of sense. But it's not like... I think it was still like 55-45 in our favour. Anyway, Rob, talk to me about the control and Pep Guardiola... His the way he's pl- implemented his playing style in the last couple of years 
since COVID, how City just passed teams to death, how we did that against Bournemouth. Yeah, we very much did that in the first half, especially as um, you suggested there. I mean, it was it was absolutely brilliant. We just passed them off the park, um, grabbed two quick goals, and from there, it was just like, okay, we're just going to take the foot off the gas now and just enjoy passing the ball about, enjoy frustrating the hell out of Bournemouth. Not only was it the way we kept the ball, but it was the way that we won the ball back, you know. Um, wasn't totally sure what Bournemouth's game plan was. You know, they were booting it up to Kiefer Moore and we were regularly just picking up the second balls. And I think when you're playing a team like Arsenal, who are very good at that, uh, it's not the wisest game plan. But I thought, in fairness to Bournemouth, they were very much improved in the second half. But again, that has a lot to do with game state. Uh, and I think you're right, actually, Alfie, to say about um, sort of giving up possession. That At the end of the day, um, I've been seeing this a lot on Twitter, people talking about this. Manchester City have to keep the ball. And this isn't to say they've got rubbish defenders, but because I don't think their defenders are quite as good at defending as ours. Um, when when we um, give up possession, we are like as compact as they come. Um, and we've, we've got players who know how to play in a deep block and just frustrate the hell out of opponents. Um, so I think we're more comfortable at doing that than, than Manchester City. Um, and we saw as well, even this Manchester City side in this um, sort of modern era, like they can't do it every game. Um, we saw them draw at the weekend with Newcastle, three or what a game, by the way. Um, but, you know, Newcastle really caused them a lot of problems with their with their high press. Um and City just weren't able to play in the way that they're sort of accustomed to, how we saw them play against Bournemouth last week. So, you know, I think a Bournemouth is the sort of game where we're going to really see whether we can ex- exude that control. Um, I think, you know, we'll, the, the sort of glory days will be when we can do it against West Ham like Man City did in on the first game of the season. It was just ridiculous the way they dealt with West Ham. Um, and I'm not sure that's something we'd be able to do quite yet. Um, go read my piece if you haven't already. I just talk about sort of mentality and things, things like that, which I think are just preventing us from being able to control a match for 90 minutes. But yeah, I, I, never in doubt, really. I just There are a few sloppy moments in the second half. You know, Ramsdale had his typical sort of fluffing a kit clearance and Granite Xhaka gave the ball away once or twice. Um, and that those are the things that sort of need to be eradicated because, like, w- that's how you just sort of present presentable opportunities to your opponents. But, you know, n- nothing to really worry about. Um, and I'm sure that... While Arteta will know there's room for improvement because there always is, um, you know, that was one of our best performances in in recent years, just in terms of on-the-ball control. Yeah, and I think um, all the data stuff back up that control in the end. Like, you look at the um, the momentum bars, the field tilt thing that, um, that Scott does, it was vastly in our favour. I think I probably reference Scott more than anyone else now on these podcasts. Uh go follow uh, that, uh, yeah, that Absolutely do. Like his new graphic stuff is absolutely brilliant. He's really hardworking like it's really impressive. Absolutely. And I think in the end what it was like zero point three expected goals that Bournemouth produced. Six shots. We had like fifteen shots, something like that. Um 
if Gabriel Jesus's um, borderline offside is onside, that's probably another 0.5 xG to add to our 1.8. Uh, and then he had a chance which was ruled offside, which was actually onside when they showed the replay. So it was a very complete performance again against, again, as we've said, a, a poor team. Um, same team again, which I think we all expected. I think it will keep being that same team until something goes wrong or we need to rotate a little bit. We'll start, I want to start with the first goal just because I think it's worth mentioning what Jesus does. Uh, and I think this is this is something we, we is outrageous, I know. Um, and it encapsulates everything he can do. Uh, you know, the chasing down of a lost cause, the, you know, pretty helpless white ball, which he miscues uh, that goes upwards. And he chases that down. Then he uses his physicality and his strength to body the, the, the centre-back. Brilliant touch to take it down. And then it's his dribbling. Um, which is an underrated aspect of his game, which we didn't necessarily cover uh, in as much depth when we were talking about the profile player we were getting in, the way he's able to glide away from two or three players there. And then it's his a vision and awareness to slip uh, Martinelli in with the reverse ball. And it's so unfortunate that Martinelli doesn't finish that. He doesn't get the he doesn't get the um the assist for it, but shot creating action. But he's delighted about that. Um this is this is what we said last season um, at the crucial points and the sort of the difference between us and Spurs in a way. Obviously, we play in different ways, but they had the individual players who could just produce brilliant moments of magic. You know, you look at Son and Kane, the the world class players, which meant as good as our system could be at times, and as well coached we were, and as well set up we were, we didn't have quite that spark, that elite talent in our squad that could just do something like that. And Jesus has been transformational in that aspect. If Martinelli scores that tap in against Palace, we're talking about a brilliant moment in that when he got, did a similar thing to what he did in the Bournemouth game when he glide, glided away from three players and had that shot against Everton. Uh, sorry, Leicester, obviously two goals and a brilliant all-round performance. He is exceptional. Um, and... We've also talked about how the right-hand side hasn't been quite as functional in the first couple games. Well, if you look at the heat maps in this game, Jesus spent more time over to the right-hand side and in the Leicester game, it's more over to the left-hand side. Guess which side flourished in either game? Yeah, I I, I think that's a a really helpful way of of looking at it. And it's a testament to his versatility as well, the fact that he's able to operate on on both sort of sides we know that Aubameyang, when he was our, our main central striker, he very much preferred to move over to the left-hand side, um, which, you know, at, at one point it meant that we were pretty much exclusively attacking down the left. Then we became much more right, sort of centric last season with Saka and Erdegaard linking up and now with Zinchenko in on the left. There's, there's, there's just a much better balance to it and people were concerned about that right-hand side. All those concerns were dispelled against Bournemouth. Um, I thought Ben White was absolutely excellent. He timed his overlaps brilliantly. Uh, shows that he can do it. Um, and I'm sure it'll be something Mikel Arteta... Like his crossing certainly isn't... You know, he's no Trell Alexander-Arnold. Yeah. But as you said, he was able, He was the outlet. He was an outlet in this game and doing the overlapping stuff, which is the one area people have questioned yeah. with him in that position. Yeah, and I think um, it's, it's not just sort of 
getting in those crossing positions and then the end products it's just you drag a defender away or uh, and it and it frees up more room for Saka and Odegaard to to sort of do their magic um yeah there was just a really nice balance to the Arsenal team in general um which as I alluded to hasn't been it hasn't always been the case and I just second what you said say on Jesus I think he has been nothing short of sensational it's it's difficult not to get excited about this and revel at the price that we paid for him. Just £45 million seems ridiculous. Um, and I think it just shows the level of quality that is at Manchester City. So many people turn their nose up at... Well, people did over the summer saying we were signing Manchester City reject. You have to be a bloody brilliant player to play for Manchester City. And if all we do from now on... It's not like they were like, Fabian Delph yeah. or something, or Nolito yeah. <laughs> when he came and played six months under City under Pep. Yeah. These players played, you know, sort of 20, 15 to 20 odd 90s a season for a team that was winning the league almost every season. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, so, you know, really good business from the. I, I, I just can't really believe how good Gabriel Jesus has been playing. And a lot of that obviously has to do with the confidence. Um, will be interesting to see if his confidence ever dips and how he copes with that. Uh, but at the moment, let's just enjoy what he's doing. I mean, as you touched upon with that goal-creating action, the way he just bodied Chris Meppham was absolutely ridiculous. Um, and the, the yeah. goal-creating action, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, we're technical on this podcast. We use all the right lingo. Um, <laughs> and... Yeah, just uh, another outstanding, outstanding all-round display. And just on his goal that was ruled out, we both put this in the uh, writer's group chat. How can you definitively say that's offside? It, it's a ridiculous call, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, but at the same time, I thought White looked offside for the first, but that it's turned out that he was onside. So, yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's worth touching on another player in a minute. Um I just do just want to say, yeah, about that first half, the control. They couldn't get into our final third. They didn't have a shot until the 55th minute or something. Um, and it was a wild Lerma effort over the bar, I think. Uh, you know, it was so, so comfortable. And the way we're able to play like that now means that teams who aren't, you know, most teams in the Premier League would not be able to get chances against us. You know, we saw Palace one of the better teams they've been very good in these last couple games didn't have all that much against us they had a couple of good chances from open from um, broken play but that was about it Martin Odegaard some he was getting some critics in the first few games and I think we spoke about or me and Daniel spoke about on the extra cannon podcast last week how um, part of that we felt was a because Thomas Partey had a poor game um, which meant Odegaard was having to drop deep. He wasn't getting the passes from from Partey and Partey wasn't doing the ball progression. So Odegaard had to do that. Um, and partly we felt some of it was to do with Tommy Asu um, not being in the side. Having said that, he responds with two goals in the first 11 minutes. Talk to me about Odegaard's performance. I mean, yeah, I think if we've been calling for anything... Uh, from Erdegaard uh, since he's joined the club it's more sort of output um, and he was the one who played an absolutely audacious pass for Gabriel Jesus for that disallowed goal I mean unbelievable vision um, 
And then, yeah, just sort of first goal, right place, right time. And the second, what a finish. I love the self selfishness. Um, it's sort of something that Odegaard doesn't get credited with a lot. Some people think, you know, he, he plays passes where maybe he should shoot. And I think that is quite a justified criticism. But the Bulls... Palace are, game, prime yeah, example yeah, of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, the ball fell to Gabriel Jesus, uh, but right in front of Odegaard and he just swept it into that far corner. Um, you know, real, real confidence. Um, and I thought, as I, as I mentioned, he got that disallowed assist, uh, but I thought overall he, he was much better. Um, I thought the midfield as a whole functioned a little bit better than it did uh, against Leicester. I thought Thomas Partey was really impressive in the middle of the park. He's received a bit of criticism just because some people think, um, he sometimes plays that glory pass a bit too often and looks to break the lines, which I, I do understand. Uh, but at the end of the day, that is what he's very good at. But I thought he kept things very simple against Bournemouth and wriggled out of difficult situations as he tends to. Um, four then, tackles. Uh, he, he screened the back yeah. four quite well. Like When they did. did win it back, a lot of the mm. reason they couldn't retain it is because of him. Yeah, he's um, he's he's a brilliant player when it comes to sort of just as you said, w- winning the ball back when you're sort of in a duel with him. <clears throat> he's he's just very good at sort of collecting the ball and getting away from a situation. I think he had a much better game. And then just a word on Zinchenko, who, I mean, I'm just going to refer to that that um, moment at the start when they punted it long. Uh, Martin Keown spoke about this on Match of the Day. People. Like you and I, we have a few queries over his defensive ability, but I thought defensively he was absolutely excellent against Bournemouth. Had that moment where the ball was going in behind and he just controlled it, did a little swivel and was away from his man. That was really, really impressive. Yeah, he was a standout performer on the day, as you predicted on the Extra Cannon podcast. Absolutely. Uh, and again, it's, it's his passing from that position and... I think he's playing a lot of medium value passes. Passes. This is what Scott was saying this day. So again, alluding to Scott, he was saying so far it's not really the the few extremely high value passes which leads to you know getting into the box or getting uh, creating a direct opportunity. It's it's a high volume of medium value passes that are getting us in and around the box um, that have really impacted the left hand side. I think we'll swivel to Saliba actually um, we have to talk about the goal nonchalant left footed finish he just sweeps it into that top corner um, don't know where he brought that out another set piece goal actually it was it looked like a nice routine I'm not sure if the plan was to get Saliba from in that shooting position but clearly the build up had something to do with Nicolas Jova and it's the third game in a row we've scored um, what a signing Nicolas Jova's been that's his name isn't it yeah, um, yeah, uh, but I mean, it was more than just his goal. A hundred percent pass accuracy. I actually went on FB ref and it said ninety eight percent, but everywhere else said not hundred percent. So I don't know what the true accurate value is. Um, there was probably a pass that was like debatable whether it was a pass or so. I don't know. Um, but his ability on the ball was probably the main thing in this game because he had very little to do. There was a few times he had a foot race with Kiefer Moore, which he obviously won um, and swept up. He, he is imperious. Um, I think that's the best word to describe him. 
and his passing is excellent and he's undroppable at the moment and he's getting his own song now. You saw the love he got at the end of the game. He must be so confident and so happy at the moment that goal topping it off, um, the reaction he got last week when he scored that own goal. You'd exp- He's got to sign this new deal um, and it's important that he feels ha- uh, happy and wanted and settled in here and I think that's coming now. Yeah, what do you make of Saliba's performance, Rob? Yeah, I I second everything you said. The, you're right. That word imperious is just him. I he he just plays with so much swagger and confidence, and you know that's exactly what what you want from your centre back. And I think it's uh, there's something that you and I definitely noticed um, when he first started playing for us in, in preseason. Um, just how crisp his passing is. Um, he's so confident on the ball, and he doesn't take too many risks, which is good. He takes risks at the right times. Didn't need to against Bournemouth, so he didn't. Um, He just plays with so much maturity for someone of his age. You just struggle to find any centre-back in the Premier League of his age able to play to this level. And as we know with him, as we saw against Leicester, there will be mistakes this season, but I'd rather see him making mistakes than anyone else. And if he's making up, for them by sweeping the ball into the top corner from the edge of the box with his weaker foot. I can make peace with that. I mean, I th- all the players just seem so shocked. Everyone's seen Zinchenko's reaction. Uh, but after the game, everyone was just sort of saying he doesn't do that in training. Ramsdale said uh, he was probably just using his clearance technique. Um, so, yeah, I think it was um, just a, another really good all-round performance. Um, and, yeah, I... Uh, I, I would like to see uh, when Tommy Asu is fully fit, but Gabriel does not deserve to be dropped. I'm not saying this, but I would like to see a white Saliba partnership. I think there are best two ball playing centre-backs. Who would you uh, put think... on the left? See, White did it a few times for us last season in, in the Cup, but I know Saliba does have experience playing there. Um, I do like my left centre-back to be the sort of bigger one. Uh, the, you, you, could know, use, sort of, you could put Tobiasu left centre yeah, back. Yeah, that, white, that's that's another thing. That I, yeah, that's another thing I sort of discussed on Twitter a few weeks ago. Just because Tobiasu is so ambidextrous, um, and according to reports, he has been um, training as a centre back uh, at Arsenal lately. Um, so you know, I, I guess that's just another option for us. I mean, it's great how many options we've got back there. Um, but yeah, I I, I would. Like to see Saliba on the left and White at the right on the right at some point, but Gabriel. I'm not saying Gabriel deserves to be dropped. I just think, even though he is very good on the ball, he, like the other two are just a little bit better than him. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I feel like we've done Bournemouth pretty effectively in these 23 minutes. Covered it. We know it was very calm, controlled game. Bro, Vin, I said this in his tactical piece. Um. We were just vastly superior to them and now we're top of the league and other teams are struggling. Um, and our fixtures look very favourable. We face Fulham next to we're good against Brentford and they're showing that they aren't just going to walk over um, like they have done the last two seasons. Um, and they obviously have the threat of Mitrovic. It's a, it's a better team than we think, but it's still a game we should be winning. Then we host uh, Villa who look all over the place at the moment. I don't think it's working under Steven Gerrard at this present moment. I think their away record is particularly dreadful um, and they don't produce anything away. 
Um, so we should, you know, it's another winnable game. Then we travel to United. It remains to be seen what state United will be in coming into that game. They could have improved um, massively. We'll obviously see the game tonight. I'm looking forward to seeing them get destroyed, hopefully. Um, and then it's Everton. So it's it's it looks promising. And we could, you know, we could, we were saying it on the Extra Cannon podcast, we could go into October, our very difficult October, in a very good position in the league. Yeah, 24 points potentially uh, heading into that North London derby. So, you know, that would Look be very ahead, nice. Head of yourself, yeah. but that would be, that would be lovely. Um, should we touch on some of the other games this weekend before we get onto the exciting uh, news? Yeah, I, I would definitely like to talk about Chelsea and um, sort of Chelsea amid the Aubameyang links. I'm intrigued to hear what you think about that. Not not just from sort of, I think I, think I know what you're going to say about how he'll sort of suit them, but sort of the emotional side of it as well, how you feel about another former Arsenal captain joining Chelsea. So... I would say, for the thing about Chelsea, I thought they were really good against Spurs. In I think I said this on the Extra Cam podcast again. They were really good um, in the midfield and in the first two thirds of the pitch. And then they got to the final third and they were lacking a focal point. Um, and they lacked any sort of uh, penalty box presence. Um, and it meant... They got a lot of shots in around the box, but they didn't create too many clear-cut chances in that game. Against Leeds, I watched that game. I thought they were dreadful. They couldn't deal with the Leeds press, which was excellent. Um, they didn't create anything again, and I think there is a genuine creative issue at that club, which links to your Aubameyang question. We all know, as Arsenal fans, he thrives in a team that creates a lot because he's very good at getting on the end of things. He's got good movement in the penalty box. He is a bit of a poacher, you could say. We've been saying this for years. Chelsea are not a team currently that are creating loads of chances. Um, so I'm not sure how he fits in there. And also, I mean, the obvious stuff. He's 33. Um, he's 33 and we know the wages he's going to demand. It's it's a bizarre deal for me. And Tim Stillman was saying on Arsenal Vision the other day, Chelsea are nothing other than a club that just throws money at problems all the time. They just constantly throw money at it. And sometimes it will inevitably work because, you know, when you throw money at it, you're inevitably getting good players. And some and a lot of the time it doesn't work. Um, but it probably works enough for them to be successful. They're not there's not a clear strategy ever at that club. There's never it's never smart business. Um it's just throw money at it and it looks like Todd Bowley's doing the same thing. Yeah, I'm about me emotionally um, see, I find myself saying an, an Arsenal player who has an Arsenal tattoo or former Arsenal player who was our captain who said when he signed that new contract he wants to create a legacy at Arsenal then joining Chelsea um, six months after he left leaves Arsenal uh, or what would be nine months or eight months <laughs> go, go fuck himself, honestly Uh I loved him as a person at this club. I loved how how he was as a player for a few years. But anyone who, you know my thoughts, how much I despise Chelsea Football Club. If you decided to play for them, um, I can't I can't not boo him when if he comes to the Emirates. I'm sorry. Even though I kind of want the transfer to happen because I think it's a terrible deal for Chelsea. Even if he scores a few goals this season. Um, you know, I think he'll be by far the worst 
out of the top six strikers. Um, I don't know what's happening at United with their number nines, but yeah, what, how do you feel about Chelsea and that Leeds game and Aubameyang? Yeah, I'll just I'll just start with Aubameyang. It, it doesn't really sit right with me. Uh, I think it's very different to Fabregas. Um, I could sort of make peace with that one. He wanted to come back to us. We didn't want him and he was sort of surplus to requirements at Barcelona. And that's he was basically other... left in limbo. If he didn't go to Chelsea, like he had no other options. Yeah, so he yeah. wasn't going to play at Barca. So yeah, we could make peace with that. And just, just on that, the limbo, Aubameyang does not have to leave Barcelona. Xavi wants him to stay. He's only been there for, you know, a few months and he said when he joined how it was such a dream for him to play for Barcelona. Uh, and now he's seemingly running away because Lewandowski's there. Um, He'll get plenty of minutes still. I mean, they're in the Champions yeah. League. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, this does sting. Um, you know, there's obviously the element of it that he wants to reunite with Thomas Tuchel. Thomas Tuchel, who famously says he never had any disciplinary issues with Aubameyang and actually suspended him three times whilst as being the manager of Dortmund. Um, so, yeah, there's that. And then, yeah, just it, it will hurt to see him in a Chelsea shirt. Uh, you know, there was that period where he was just so, so good for us, that FA Cup run. And I think Chelsea fans might think they're getting that Aubameyang. That Aubameyang didn't really ever exist. It was a, a very small patch and he was untouchable for a brief period. But that's not Aubameyang as a player. Um, so, yeah, I, I I fear for him at Chelsea. I think his Premier League goal-scoring record will be hurt. It was already starting to be hurt uh, during the, the last few months at Arsenal. Um, and yeah, quite a sad move. And And then just on Chelsea in general... God, they were a mess. I mean, just just some basic level analysis, just surface level, like Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Conor Gallagher can't be starting for a top six side. It's it's that simple. I then. thought Loftus-Cheek looked really good against Spurs, but yeah, in this so game did he I. was not at all. Yeah, I, bit, I don't think he is that player. Um, so, yeah, and Jorginho was very poor again. Just, and the, the insistence on playing Reese James is like a, sort of right centre-back. I don't um, think he wants to do that, though. I think he mm, did it for the Spurs game to... Yeah, yeah, um, I, I, to I agreed with that. For Son's quality. And then in this game, he was probably looking and thinking, I don't mm. have the centre-back I want. I think he wants yeah. for Farner so he can then yeah. put James. I don't think he trusts Aspilicueta at this age anymore. Yeah, and that's completely understandable. Uh, but, you know, I think he at the moment is probably like their biggest attacking outlet. Uh, and so putting him there is just, is pretty nonsensical, but as you alluded to there, there is reasoning for it. Um, but yeah, I, I would be quite fearful if I were, were a Chelsea fan. I, I just don't really get what they're, they're trying to do. I, I don't really get why they haven't gone over after Ivan Tovi, Tony. I think he'd be much better suited to them. The thing um, is, when I look at their striker things, they had a big target man. I know Lukaku's not just, it's, it's a bit um, unfair to purely dub him as a target man, but they had Lukaku, yeah. who didn't fit their system at all, and they kept reverting to using uh, Havertz as a false nine. Mm. 
that worked, and that's a player who gets involved in build-up quite a bit. And now they want to bring in Aubameyang, who will have the fewest touches of anyone on the pitch. Um, and then you're left with every, all the creative onus um, on Sterling and Mount behind them, or whoever they choose to play in those two players. I don't, I, I don't know yeah. what they're doing. Bizarre. I don't know. That's why I'm I'm sceptical of someone like Tony. I think United should go for someone like Tony, but Chelsea, hmm. um, I'm not saying it'd be a repeat of Lukaku, um, but maybe there are similarities there. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I think Lukaku has always talked about the fact that he's not a target man and he's a sort of getting behind striker, which is just bizarre. Just like play to your strengths, mate. Um, but you know the, the the whole club from top to bottom. Uh, we we we've spoken about this before, I think, on the show about just the lack of direction and this new owner who just clearly doesn't, unfortunately, really know what he's doing. I mean, fortunately for us, um, he sort of sacked everyone there and is running the ship on his own. He needs to get some football specialists in. Uh, we've seen, you know, up north with Manchester United, what happens when you've got sort of businessmen running football clubs rather than football people. Um, it doesn't work. Um, so, yeah, it could be a long old season for them and definitely wouldn't be surprised if Tuchel is gone before long. I agree. Um, let's Let's get a bit excited here quickly and let's... And that's I'm not talking about the transfer rumor quite yet. I am actually let's address the uh, the title talk. Um, second half of the season, we're doing a title charge. Let's 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 address that. It won't be second half of the season. That will be wrapped up by Christmas. I'm telling you, if that's possible, I don't think it is. Um, is it outrageous? And like I'm. So what I'm saying is it doesn't feel insane to say it's possible. Like, I think it's very unlikely, but it doesn't feel insane to say it's possible. When I look at the teams out there, we've, we and Daniel said on the Extra Cannon podcast that we don't think Tottenham can win the Premier League playing the way they play. I very much agreed with what you said. Was it Tim Stillman or Clive that said, Clive, said that? Clive. Clive, Clive, I completely agree with that. Yeah, like with the margins they played, the way a lot of they it were dreadful against football. Wolves. Dreadful. They were, particularly first half was appalling. Um, can they win the Premier League playing like that week in week out? I don't think so. I think you need to dominate games. You need to dominate the ball. You need to be aggressive and and take the initiative. And I don't think yeah, they the do Premier that League. Often. Yeah, the Premier League is very different now to what it was when Antonio Conte won it with Chelsea a few years ago. You don't need as well. You need more points to win it now, and I, I don't think you can do that playing that style of football. Exactly, and Chelsea have just discussed their long list of problems. I I don't think it, it, we can definitely say right now it's definitely going to be an implosion. Like, I still think they could be very strong, but. I think there's there's definitely issues there, and I don't think the Aubameyang uh, signing is going to sol- solve it. Hopefully, they sign Anthony Gordon as well. They play a front three of Gordon, uh, Aubameyang, Sterling. Uh, Surely, financial going? fair play comes into it if they sign all of them. <laughs> like it's you, just you think so. I mean, Koulibaly, <laughs> Sterling, Kukurea were all what, sixty odd million. Um, no, Kudabali was like 40 mil, but he's on insane wages. 
Um, and then, obviously, City and Liverpool, the two we'd have to contend with. City, I think City will win the league. Like, I don't, and everyone will talk about this Newcastle result. And when you still look at it, they still created a 3.6 XG. They had 21 shots, like in the game state where they have to actually, because most games they are like what we were at, like against Bournemouth, you know, completely in control. And a lot of the time they don't have to do much because they're up quite comfortably pretty early on. They just pass teams to death um, and just assert, assert that control. In this game, when they actually had to chase it, they just sort of. It was like, oh, we're 3-1 down. Let's create loads of chances now. And they just did it and they were just able to. Um, and that's sort of the scary thing about them. And in the end, they weren't able to get the goal. I think the glimmer of hope um, is, first of all, I think adapting to having a striker in their team again with Erling Haaland is a bit of an adaptation as much as he might be great. Um, and secondly, I think their defence clearly got exposed in this Newcastle game. Um, Newcastle, as you alluded to earlier, had... You know, a lot of good chances. They were they were able to hit them in transition, um, and it left their centre backs exposed a little bit. And Kyle Walker didn't know what to do with some Maximan. There's definitely a blueprint there to how to get at City, and you'll probably concede chances at the other end. But and you'll probably have to ride your luck, and your goalkeeper will probably have to be brilliant like Nick Pope was. But there's 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 a possibility of getting points off City there. Um. And I think Liverpool, we've spoken about, they've struggled a little bit in the first two games as as much as they've been good and probably should have won both games. Um, finishing was an issue uh, and they're still adapting to losing Mane and playing with Darwin Nunes. So we're still very much up against it, but can we dare to dream, Rob, at least? I wouldn't say second is outside the realms of possibility. Definitely not. The title is, you know... I think it's very difficult to say just because we we've never really shown that that consistency as as of yet that's required to win a Premier League title. We've had spells. Uh, there was that spell in the new year last uh, of this year where we were pretty brilliant. Um, and then there's of course injuries with us. We can never really depend on some of our crucial players, uh, especially Thomas Partey, who is so important to us to stay fit. Um, so I think it would be heavily dependent on that. And then we've got to see how sort of the Europa League affects our season as well. If we go deep into that competition, it will, of course, be a big distraction. Um, but I don't think Arsenal fans should disregard the idea that we might be in a title race this season. I mean, all you have to do is just watch, just look at all the top six is games this season. We are, on, I think, at the moment, yes, we're the, we're the second best team in the league. I, th I think that Man City are still the best. I mean, as I, I, I saw you put it in the um, group chat yesterday, sort of how Man City was so scary in that game st state with Newcastle yesterday. The fact that they could just turn it on and be like, fuck it, we're going to go and grab like five or six goals. And I, I know they didn't, but they, they could have. Um, so, yeah, I think when they properly adapt having Haaland, it's going to be quite scary what they can do um Liverpool obviously Liverpool are going to be fine they're, they're undoubtedly top three um and probably top two um but their midfield is weak very weak you know you and I write about Liverpool every every day for Sport Bible and we've watched that closely they're not doesn't look like they're signing anyone in midfield and 
they don't really have a talismanic player in that area of the pitch. I mean, I know they haven't. Thiago historically, out for but... several months is a huge loss. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And they just don't have a like-for-like sort of stylistic replacement for him. Um, I really think they should have gone in for Mateus Nunez, who went to Wolves in the end. Um but, you know, it's Liverpool at the end of the day. Darwin Nunez looks like an excellent addition, even though he had a moment of madness. He will score goals for them. Um, and they've still got Mo Salah, don't they? So, yeah. But at this stage in the season, I think it does look like a three-horse race. Um, and I don't think that's a ridiculous thing to say, just based on where we are at this point in the season and how everyone's playing. Liverpool, City and Arsenal are playing the most attractive and most sort of sustainable football, if you know what I mean, in terms of getting results in the long term. So let's not disregard the idea yet. We're we're like we're top of the league and, and that is something to be proud of. You can only beat what's in front of you and we're playing with a swagger and confidence that looks like a team who would be up there in most seasons challenging for the title. Exactly. And if you can't dream about it, then what's the point in watching football? Um, we're not saying it's particularly likely, but the fact that we're even able to have this conversation um, from is, where we were last nice. year. And it, it's probably the first time we've been able to do this since we started this podcast. Like, I don't think there's been another time where we've even remotely had any, it's like it's been like a 0.1% chance of the title, whereas now I'm looking at it and say, Maybe we're at 4%, maybe 5%. That's what the bookies have us at. So who knows? Um, We are going to get finally onto the rumour that has been circulating today. It's not even a rumour. It's a a report from David Ornstein, so we know it has credit. Um, Ornstein says that we our transfer priority for the remainder of this window is to try and sign Pedro Neto from Wolves. I think... At this point, we were so fixated on the left eight being the priority. I think the way Shaq has started the season in that position, as much as I still think there are a few areas and a few moments where you're like, if there's a player who's slightly more naturally suited to that role, they could do slightly more in that position. But I think he's been good and we've got options there. You know, Smith Rowe, Vieira. Um, Laconga can all play there as well. And I, I, yeah, I think another factor as well is just like how reliable and durable Shaka is. Like we don't really have to worry about an injury in that position. Uh, we just know that he's going to be able to play like 40, 50 games a season, no problem. Whereas, you know, Saka's still a young boy. He hasn't had his first like big injury yet in his career, touch wood. Hopefully he never has one. Um, but, you know, it might make more sense to buy a wide player. Well, exactly. Like we, we've got the numbers in that left eight role. We do have quality there. Um, even if the absolutely ideal player isn't necessarily there. Whereas in the front five, it's you know, it's it's the front three that we play and then it's in Ketia and Smith Rowe. If you if that's what you're relying on, you get to a point where you have to play a League Cup game with Saka, Jesus or Martinelli starting, which is far from ideal. You have to play Carabag away in Azerbaijan with one of those starting like you don't want to do that I mean I know you can talk about Marquinhos and I know he started well for the under 23s I don't think he's ready to 
I think we may see a few cameo performances um, in cup competitions, but I don't think he's ready to start those games. Yeah, he's clicking around though. He's not going online. So I would imagine Europa League minutes and then alone in January for him. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But it, it does seem clear that the the biggest hole in terms of depth in our squad is on that is in the front three a wide forward who could probably play on both sides um someone who can you know give Saka a rest and someone who can also compete on the left hand side i like the pedro neto rumor because before we even get into the player he's a player who if you bring him in for Saka there isn't a huge drop off in quality or style um, which means we can do it. Like when we had to bring in Pepe, it was like we miss a huge amount from our team. But Pedro Neto, I don't think is a huge drop off. But he's also at the stage where he's not like Rafinha, who would come in and demand minutes and would need minutes for the wa- for the wages and the money you paid. Whereas Pedro Neto could come in and quite feasibly, the stage of development he's in, he's only twenty two. It's a big upgrade in club for him. He could come in and play. He would get loads of minutes, but he doesn't have to be starting every game and play the bulk of the minutes, if you know what I mean, which is why I think this deal really does make sense to me. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, a lot has been made of sort of his injury. He had a big kneecap injury, uh, sort of only came back back end of last season, but has played the first three of this season, which I wonder if Arsenal were sort of looking at and why we perhaps didn't move him earlier. I wonder if there was that element of it, just seeing where he is. Um, you know, I think people are right to say he, he he's lost a bit of that explosiveness that he had when he was absolutely balling out for Wolves. Uh, I think two years ago, I remember there was quite heavy debate of Foden, Saka and Neto at, at that point in terms of best youngster in the league. Um, and yeah, I think Arsenal would be a really good place for him to um, get back to his best just because there's not that pressure on him to play every week at all. Um, He's just not first choice. And I know eventually he'll have aspirations to be, but, you know, he can get minutes in low pressure competitions um, and he can rely on the fact that there's loads of quality around him. So if he has a crap game, it's fine. Like hopefully Jesus, Martinelli, Saka will score. Um, he sort of reminds me stylistically of a of like a left footed Martinelli. I think he's much more similar in profile to Martinelli than he is Saka, um, which is which is quite nice. I think it's good to have that sort of option on either side. Um, he's a very hard runner with the ball, uh, and that's what sort of reminds me of Martinelli. Uh, and yeah, re- really really good, skillful player. Um, I think like in that season, so it wasn't last season, it was the season before when he was playing regularly. He was involved in like more than 30% of leads of Wolves' goals, um, which just shows how sort of like important he was to that Wolves side. And like, even though he might not have scored that many goals himself or similar to Saka and Foden, he was playing in a, in a like inferior team. So you've got to give that to him. Um, and then just on like the plausibility of the transfer, I remember, and I thought it was strange, um, when we signed Vieira, a lot was made of um, the influence of the agent. And the Athletic even actually wrote about it, like George Mendes. Uh, George Mendes was crucial, and I was like, oh, okay, thanks for that. And I wonder if that is sort of 
playing a little role here because obviously Mateus Nunes is a Mendes client as well. Maybe he's gone to Wolves and Mendes have sort of said, oh, if I give you him, will you let my client, other client leave for a little bit less? Uh, it's an interesting one. Hopefully. And hopefully, the f- I mean, the other thing the Athletic article said is that um, there have been talks for well over a month about this deal. And I don't think you speak and continue in negotiations if there's no chance of a deal happening. Um, we might have to pay quite a bit, but I think, I mean, look at the Anthony deal. Uh, I, I don't know if this was... He's uh, just another Pepe, but worse, maybe. If I don't, I don't know if this was real um because someone sent it to a group chat i mean um but someone said that they they made an 140 million euro offer um that might be the, don't quote me on that that's probably it's probably edited it edited because that is <laughs> insane um but yeah neto i really like him you mentioned that you find him similar to martin and i do see that with his playing style i think the data shows him to be quite similar to saka um which maybe is another reason why we targeted him. Um, really good ball carrier, really good uh, dribbler. Gets a lot of shots. Um, maybe could do a little bit more on the output side, um, which you mentioned there. But I think he is a player who could really explode at a better club and a better team because that Wolves team has been dire for some time now. Um, but also, he had, there was so much burden on him. As you said, there won't be that much burden on him. He'll be around better players, be less pressure. I think it makes a lot of sense. And he's Portuguese. Um, exactly. <laughs> he was settling culturally immediately. It's a deal that makes sense. It's one that we could get done. I don't want us to overpay. Um, I don't want us Wolves to do a Brighton on us um, with Kukurea and White, as much as I love White. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think they will. It wasn't from the Ornstein report, but the, the rumours on Twitter, so we're going more into rumour territory now than report, is that Arsenal want to pay 35, which would be, you know, the coup of the century. Um, but they want 50, which I think is reasonable. I would pay 50 in a heartbeat. If we could get a compromise, that would be great. Uh, maybe 42.5 mil, a bit of Ozil. Um That would be great. And yeah, I think that would put our squad in a very good position going into the season. And I think this is something uh, Elliot Yankee Gunner said, Arsenal Vision. He tweeted it, actually. He was like, I think this squad as it is, it's currently good enough to get in the top four and to compete for the top four. But if we have aspirations of doing something a bit more special, there's a few places we could just strengthen the squad. And this is definitely the main one for me. So I hope uh, we can get I this th- done. I think Edu should have an eye on that and, and Arteta, I think that should factor into the thinking after the start we've had and how good we look. I think if if you can look at two players who ma- massively increase your chance of winning the title, you buy those players. Um, so, yeah, I don't think that that's something that should be disregarded by anyone at the club. It should definitely factor into our thinking. Absolutely. We'll call it a day um, just because I've got to get off, but it's been a nice 50-odd minute podcast. Um, nice talking about that beautiful win um, and some more schadenfreude and another exciting transfer rumor. Uh, we need a song um, but also marketing opportunity of a lifetime Rob plug whatever you want okay well I'm just going to say the song 
I think it's obvious that what it's going to be, it's going to be tequila. Um, because what a weekend. <laughs> like the Arsenal fans just wouldn't stop singing it. <laughs> it was so funny. Um, and my marketing opportunity of a lifetime, I talked about it at the top of the show, my piece on weloveyouarsenal.co.uk, just talking about how Arsenal control games and why, trying to sort of work out why we're not able to do it expertly yet. And actually all the other stuff that has gone up on We Love You Arsenal in recent days, we've had a very strong week, actually. Um, very nice tactical one. Samaya did a nice one on um, on Martinelli. Uh, Daniel did a nice Vinton's Frolic on All or Nothing. And James Whiffing did a piece on the zinchenko Tierney debate. So yeah, just go out and check everything out on our website. And you did a piece on control and I did a piece ranking all our signings, which feels like an age ago now, but it was only six days ago. Yeah, I'll just second that. Great week. We love your answer. Okay, okay. And we'll do tequila to play out. Um, and yeah, maybe we'll have an extra Canon podcast later in the week uh, looking ahead, maybe to some more transfer rumors or maybe the uh, the Fulham game. Um, but hopefully we'll definitely have one next week after the Villa midweek game. I think that's prime time. Hopefully we'll get Mac back on. Anyway, Rob, any parting words? Uh, nothing for me. Oh, also, we'll probably do, if you want to hear a bit more about Neto, me and Alfie, we'll probably do a little video on him. So if you're listening on Spotify, do scoot over to YouTube and check that out whenever it comes out. Bye. Bye.